Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Ryan Aho and Bert Lehman. Well, we're going to start tonight where many race programs start. We're going to start with hot laps. And if the, if there are some listeners out there who are novices to racing, hot laps are kind of like a warm-up session for athletes where racers can out there, take a few laps, shake things down. And hot laps have been kind of fading in the last several years, so we're going to banter around a little bit, the good, bad, and the ugly of hot laps. So tonight we're going to start with you, Bert Lehman. Uh, you know, just kind of your thoughts on hot laps and, and uh, what you've seen in the past and where you think they're going to be in the future. Well, you just said that hot laps are kind of becoming a thing of the past. And actually in eastern Wisconsin, that it's kind of opposite of that. I mean, I can remember back in the uh, 1990s, uh, early 1990s, mid-1990s, where on this side of the state, the drivers would have the they would water the track so much that the, you'd have to pack the track for about an hour before the races would start and they would never they would hardly ever do hot laps where now um you know over the last 10 years or so i would say most tracks on this side of the state uh, offer hot laps uh for a regular program so it's it's kind of weird how it's kind of opposite over here but i mean hot laps i I hear pros and cons for hot laps. I mean, for a weekly show, and I've heard track promoters say they don't want to do hot laps because they don't they don't want to use up the track for hot laps. So I, I'm interested to hear Ryan's take on on hot laps. Um, I know uh, when I was in MJ McBride's pit crew and we traveled to other tracks, uh, he would always tell me uh, that he wanted to be in the hot lap session that was towards the end. And so then it was always a matter of timing when you get in line to go and go for hot laps because you want a hot lap on the, on a racing surface. That's going to be closest to what you're going to be racing on. Sure. Go ahead, Ryan. So, so Bert, did you say they watered the track? What do you mean by that? I don't understand what, what like, <laughs> what do you mean? They would, act, they would actually put this liquid substance on the dirt and to to make it tacky that's a that's an interesting concept because it seems to me like a whole lot of racetracks are like forgetting that whole step in the process right i mean there was a bunch of races going on this past weekend and i think like all of them forgot to water the racetrack i mean i never seen so much dusty rubbered up junk in my entire life it was terrible but you know the fact of the matter is uh, i remember that back in the day too i mean we actually had to have mud scrapers, right? We 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 started off yep. having like little two inch putty knives or one inch ones at first, and then we got like the little bit wider ones, and then pretty soon, you know, all these companies were selling. I mean, they it was actually an item that you could buy from like one of the parts trucks. They'd have like big long mud scrapers, and now it's like some of these kids coming up racing. They're like, what what the heck's that for? What do you need that for? They don't even they probably don't even understand. It's kind of like a B main. It's a lost concept, but Here's the deal. Every racetrack, okay, number one, I mean, they need to start out with the track wet. I mean, that it's got I mean, the race program, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen racetracks bone dry partway into the heat races. There's no excuse for that. That's just laziness on the track prep. You know, as and as far as hot laps goes, I mean I I raced the most shows I raced in a single season, I ran ninety-eight shows in one year. Now, guess what? I hot lapped every single chance I could get. Now, you want to be careful and give somebody some space. And really, it's just warming up. I mean, you're not going to go out there and really, it's not going to be comparable to what you race on most of the time. But 
for me, it was just kind of a way to kind of get loose and warm up and make sure the car rotated and the brakes are working and, you know, and just kind of warming everything up. Every sport has it. Every professional sport, you'll see people warming up before the big game. And, and I used to always laugh, you know, I'd go to tracks and, you know, you'd see these guys that were afraid to get their car dirty. I'm not going to mention any names, but there's, there's a few of them out there that I think that they maybe didn't, they did their nails before or what they did but the fact of the matter is they're like oh, i'm not going out there this car's gonna get muddy i don't need hot laps and then you drive by them like they're a parked car it's like dude you clearly need hot laps like seriously like you're not fast i mean i mean who do you, who do some of these people think they are they think they're like all stars i'm like sorry you're not tony stewart okay it's just the way it is you're not scott bloomquist you need, even those guys when they get an opportunity guess what they hot lap right so first of all i'm gonna put that on the drivers because a lot of them they, they just kind of quit hot lapping because they didn't want to get their car dirty. But man, oh man, I have been to a ton of racetracks and it is absolutely just mind boggling to me how the track is rock hard, like to start the night. So, so you guys, you know, I'm just going to ask you both. I mean, how many times have you heard dirt fans say, oh my God, dirt racing is so much better than asphalt racing. Asphalt racing is gay. It's stupid. Like nobody wants to watch that crap. You know, dirt racing is way better. You guys ever hear anybody say that? All the time. Yep. So then they make the track bone dry. They sheeps put the heck out of the thing so it's rock hard. It's bone dry. They're they're sitting there telling you they don't like asphalt racing, but in essence, they're getting asphalt racing. It's like, wake up. You know, I, I got some friends of mine that are very, very, very good dry slick drivers. You put them on a rough, tacky track, they, they literally, they pull off. True story. They exit stage right, pull off. They're like, oh, it's too heavy. It's hard on equipment. I remember back in the day, the track was heavy. I mean, that was that was part of it. Now, that's where hot laps come in. Most of the time in hot laps, the track's heavy. It's muddy. It's not usually like that in racing. But what happens when you get to a 10 grand to win show and it rains during the day? And next thing you know, you get stuck on a, a heavy, heavy heat race. And you ain't seen that like in two years. And that's where hot laps come in because if a person can figure out how to get their car to rotate and hot laps and free it up and you're going to learn something that you can apply at a later date. You know, I've seen people go out and they win these 10 grand to win bone dry top to bottom, not known to traction. And they are super talented when it comes to that. But I've also seen them same people go to a track that's a big special and they're, they're like a fish out of water. They're going, I've never seen this before. So I think hot laps need to come back. Tracks need to be, you know, a little bit less lazy at the end of the day. Give these folks some hot laps. It's part of the program. I think you're going to have better racing, too, because if the track is muddy, if it's heavy, hot laps gives them a chance to blow it off. So, Puka, you were at the Labor Day shootout last year, and day one was bone dry and, like, heat one. It was terrible. But day two, them guys went to work. And I'm going to hats off to the Hibbing Raceway because – you know, they worked their tail off till the wee hours of the morning, Saturday night. They realized they didn't have a good Saturday night. They got it, right? They get it. They don't need us to beat them up because they beat themselves up just as bad. But the fact is, they went out there. They went to work. They, they, they tilled up the track. They got some moisture in it, and it was sticky to start the night, and there was good racing all day long on Sunday. Remember that? Yeah. Now, if you remember, the first three, four, five races, the Super Stocks ran first, Okay. And it was terrible for the Supers. It really was because it was still greasy and slimy. It wasn't quite race ready yet. See, that's a perfect time to have hot laps because they could have blown some of that slime off and created a racing groove. 
and and then the, the first few heat races would have been better. So I think hot laps need to come back, and the drivers, they have an option. They, if they want a hot lap, great. If they don't want a hot lap, great. But to me, it's part of the race program. It needs to continue to be part of the race program, and, and uh, I took advantage of that every time I could. Yeah, well, let me push back on that just a little bit because it seems – what I've heard from racers is, is they seem to be the ones that don't like the tacky tracks. Obviously, there's a few that do, but it's, you know, it's, I mean, I remember, yeah, I've talked to several promoters. I, I remember being in Billings, Montana when the, uh, so this was 05. It was, it was like two weeks after my son was born and we got some rain and stuff. And, oh, gosh, the, the sprint guy, they were just complaining. I mean, you don't get much rain in Montana. It's like one foot of precip a year. And, you know, we got, we, all the fans were thinking it was fortunate, you know, to get a good, nice dumping, the grounds were kind of wet. So it just wasn't just dust blowing around and, and all gosh, they were just complaining, 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 like uh, crazy to uh, Fred Brownfield used to run the show up there for Brownfield promotions. He ran several across the country. And so that that's point number one and point number two, or question number two for you, Ryan is what, what tracks do you know that don't hot lap? Cause I know like tracks that I go to weekly around here in Northern Minnesota, they're I th- for the most part, I think are still hot lapping night in, night out. I, I suppose there's a night or two when they don't. Well, I don't think I don't think Kevin hot laps. Oh, don't they hot lap anymore? Yeah, see, that's one that I, I guess I don't get to normally early. Yeah, Hibbing doesn't, Rapids doesn't. I don't know about Superior and Proctor. I know Wilmer doesn't, and you know, so most tracks in our area have kind of gotten rid of them. Um, for the most part, I know Rapids is a hot lap for 10 years. Hibbing, I don't believe they do. But as far okay, so let's let's take that back. You're exactly right. It, everything comes from the drivers. But if you take a look at most of the racetracks, who are the racetracks ran by? The drivers. Racetracks. They're they're yeah. so the racetracks are ran by drivers or former drivers. Okay, that right there is a problem all in itself because I did that. I I got done racing and I helped promote a track and I was really only looking at it from one dimension mine right i looked at it from my view and as if you're if you're somebody that wins a lot of races if you're if you're good more often than not you're going to want a dry track really and the reason is because it basically just it creates some separation not everybody can get that kind of traction and carry momentum it, it is harder to race on a slippery track than it is to race on a sticky track for sure there's no question about it and a sticky track is going to be Harder on equipment overall. It's going to be harder on the engine, harder on the drivetrain, harder on the suspension, the shocks, the ball joints, the wheel bearings, a, a sticky track. Now, now here's the deal. There's a fine line there, though. It doesn't need to be like super monster, tacky, heavy, pull your shoes off type deal. It just needs to have some moisture in the track. I mean, <clears throat> you guys have both been to a lot of races, and, and we've seen it's dirt, right? Dirt. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. It all depends on the weather, and there's a lot of variables there. But a good, good racetrack, in my opinion, starts out a little bit slimy. It doesn't have a lot of fluff, so it doesn't get, like, super sticky, like, pull your shoes off, like, really, really rough, heavy. That's no good. But the fact is, you want some moisture in there. You know, it doesn't need to be rock hard. It doesn't need to be one inch of fluff to where it blows off immediately. It doesn't need to be, if it's sheep's footed, it needs to be graded over, you know, so... I guess I would say this. I've raced on a lot of tracks. I've been to a lot of tracks. I've never done track prep. I can tell you the difference between a good track and bad track, and I'm sure, sure glad I don't have that job because it's, it's thankless. <laughs> Go ahead, Bert. Any more to add? Well, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, you can, you can arrive at a, at a track, a dirt track, and look at it. And, I mean, I've been to tracks already where, 
I look at the track and it's like, holy crap, they really watered the crap out of it. But then after about two sessions of hot laps, it's all blown off because they don't they don't open up the track. I think, uh, you know, they mm-hmm. just dump top of a packed track and well, that's not going to get moisture inside <laughs> the track. But I, I think promoters are scared to open up the track because they don't want to have a rough track. They'd rather have a smooth, dry track than a rough track. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, Bert. And I remember racing um, up at the Hibbing Raceway. There was a gentleman, and how he used to prep the track is it would be black top to bottom at the end of the night, and literally all he would do is go to the outside of the banking, grade the fluff back along the track, and there was like an inch and a half of fluff on top of that rock-hard surface. So then literally you could have gone there any day during the week with a broom, and you could have swept it all off, and you would have been down to the black hard underneath it. And, and what would happen at that particular track for years, it used to be like this, they'd water it. It would be exactly like that. And, and if you didn't really, if you didn't really race, you didn't really know, but you could look at it and be like, man, it looks like it's wet. It looks like there's some moisture in it. And, and then what would happen is the track would actually turn really marbly and dusty because all you had is that loose gravel on top of a rock hard surface. It's like going to the Walmart parking lot. You can water that all day long. It's still rock hard. You know, so you have to till the track. I'm a firm believer you got to farm the track once a month, and you don't need to farm it deep. See, and that's where people make some mistakes is when they farm it. Sometimes they go way too deep, and that can create some big issues. Really, you only need to go three to five inches deep and and just break that surface up so it'll actually take some moisture. And uh, you'd be surprised, three to five inches that you can do a lot with three to five inches of fluff. You definitely don't need the six, eight. That's where, that's where the tracks end up getting rough. And, you know, and that's where the perspective comes in because drivers, they don't want it rough. They absolutely do not want it rough, but what's more entertaining as a fan And this, you guys can speak on this. What's more entertaining as a fan, a track that's got some grip in it. That's a little choppy where people are up on the wheel, dicing and slicing or a track that's, one lane bone dry no ruts in it but everybody just kind of following the leader around the racetrack what do you guys prefer well yeah i like well you know i'd rather have hammer down versus one lane train racing but i i like a track you know that starts with a cushion and i like when it moves up you know because it kind of adds a different dynamic as the races go on you know mm-hmm. go ahead Bert. right i agree i agree you know, yeah I, I my my favorite track condition ever is when that cushion is just not like not like dominant cushion where there's just a little something for the people that got some big nut sack, right? Where they can run right up on the top. And I remember Alan Olison back in the day, he was right on the top. He was fun to watch. But also then where at the end of the night there's a little bit of grip on the bottom and maybe a hint through the middle so that people can really move around on the track. And and uh I, I've been to a lot of different racetracks and and some have been good, some have been bad and I've been to, it doesn't matter if it's the best track in the world, Cedar Lake Speedway, one of the best tracks out there. I've been there where it's just been unbelievably terrible. And then I've been there going, man, this, this is amazing. So it's, it's a challenging deal, but I think at the beginning of the night, if they just put some effort into it, put some moisture on the track and back to hot laps, let us kind of create that groove. Guess what? If the track gets dry partway through the night, not a big deal. Go out and farm it. That's a nice thing about dirt. It's not asphalt. You can rework it in the middle of the program if you have to. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've talked a lot about promoters tonight, and we're going to move on to kind of a, a promoter's discussion here. The topic's going to be hosting races versus promoting races. And, Ryan, we're going to start with you tonight. Obviously, you got your hands on a little bit of this uh, on the promoting side. And really just, you know, I guess maybe the easiest question to ask is, 
and then we can kind of go from there is, you know, what does promoting mean to you? Well, now, now we're going to, I'm going to kind of ask you a question <clears throat> to segue back into this. Now, are you talking special events like big marquee events or are you talking like, like season long regular night or, or just kind of all of the above? What are you talking? Well, about? I think maybe focusing just more on that season long. Cause that seems to be what's struggling, you know, it, you know, and we've, we've discussed on the pod before, you know, like the late model tour, you know, we've talked about that, how, you know, there's, there's six or seven weeks this summer in a row, 50,000 to win races for the super late yeah. models. I think they're doing okay, but we keep hearing how it's the weekly program that's struggling. It's like, yeah. what, you know, what are these promoters yeah. and clubs? Cause it's promoters and clubs. What are they going to do? you know to, to absolutely to save themselves I, I was just down at the pri show plus i was down at the motor state expo and i talked to some different promoters down in down in illinois i talked to some folks in indiana i talked to folks in minnesota wisconsin and and everybody says the same thing oh regular night racing is dying and i think that's a bunch of nonsense that's just simply not true okay because special events i'm gonna i'm gonna start with this if you want to have a special event at your racetrack okay the regular season the regular nights that's where it's your job as a promoter to build the fan base so that way when you do have a special you have a whole big fan base to choose from and hopefully they all come because you're going to have several people throughout the year that don't come every week right they're going to come sometimes but if you can get a whole bunch of them to the special now you have a good special but but what does it take so this is a conversation this is this is actually a fun conversation for me because for the i started out as a race fan. When I was a kid growing up, I was a race fan. So I thought one thing. Well, then I became a driver. Well, not only was I a driver, at first I was a driver that was just kind of like there. I, you know, I ran okay, but I wasn't winning a bunch of races at first. I was just kind of, I was kind of there. Well, then I became a racer that was winning a bunch of races and racing for championships. Then I was a promoter along with being a racer. And then I actually took some time off and I became a promoter that had not been racing for a while and then i got into the marketing side right now there's two different types of fans there's your your diehard fan that man they're they're very knowledgeable about the sport they they love racing and then there's your your casual fan somebody that they know they know what the classes are but they don't really know anybody they might know a couple people but they they have a little bit of idea what's going on and then you have your the people that you're trying to get there to to make them into fans so where i'm going with that is there's so many different views of what it takes to promote. And the problem is, is most people look at it one dimensional. Most racetracks are ran by racers or former racers, and they're looking at it from their angle. You look at most racetracks and how they promote is they're like, oh, man, you know, we got these classes, we're paying this, and, you know, everything's focused on the racer. You know, hey, we got... You know, we got a mod special. Well, I'm sorry. You drive to Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and I go down by Pacagama Lake, and I can go talk to 10 people and say, man, we got modified. They have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. They don't know what modified is. You kidding me? They don't know the difference between a Hornet and a late model. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Agreed. So <laughs> they're, they're promoting, you know, they're, they're basically promoting two people that are already race fans, which is important. You got to do that, too, because you got to keep them people informed. But where in my opinion and from my experience and and i learned this from a guy by the name of crash carlson crash was a promoter up at proctor for many years and and people used to look at him like man this guy's nuts and he is i love the guy he is nuts though but i do love the guy he's great okay but what he says 
is it needs to be more like a carnival. See, if you guys go to the fair, okay, I want you to think about this for just a minute. You go to the fair. Now, one of you, or let's say that, okay, Puka, how many kids you got? Like 87 of them? Four that right? I know of, yeah. Four that, I know. four that you know of. Four that you know of. You keep doing them pull-ups like you're doing at the, at, you know. <laughs> we won't get into that. So, so, so you got four kids. You, let's say you bring them four kids to the fair. One of the kids might absolutely just love the rides. They're like, I just want to go on the rides all day long. And the other three might be like, yeah, I like the rides, but that's not what I'm excited about. The next one might be like, I want to go play the games and throw the dart and try to go win a fish. And they, they like that side of it. Another one of the kids, they might be like, man, I just want to go get some, you know, fair food. Like, I'm excited to go get some mini donuts, right? And then the other kid might be, I want to go see all the horses and the animals and all that. So if you think about it, there's something for everybody, right? Sure, yep. Now, now with racing, if you've been, you go to any low, most, okay, there, there's probably some tracks that maybe get this a little bit better than most. But 99% of the tracks that I've ever been to, when you go to the racetrack, the only thing there is the racing. And here's the deal. We talk about some tracks that race this weekend. If your only product is the racing, and you can't even make a good racing product, you got some issues, right? Like you you go to the track, first of all, there needs to be more than just racing. But let's just start with that. You know, we've all seen them, we've all seen those mems out there that say, Man, you only had one job, right? You remember you seen them mems? <laughs> well, you, you go to some of these tracks and they got one job. Give us a good racing surface so we can have some good races. And they can't even freaking do that right. So how the heck are they going to do anything else? They can't even do the one thing right that they're supposed to. So in my eyes, promoting versus you can call it hosting a race or you can call it, I like to call it advertising versus promoting. Advertising an event is a, you know, it's kind of like a static. It's passive, right? You throw it out on the radio. You have some flyers, some banners, TV ad, you know, put it in the newspaper. Hey, we're having a race. That's That's advertising. That's like, that's the basics. That's what everybody did for years. Now, promoting is doing unique things to get different people to the event, like going out and actively engaging with people to get them to your event. So some examples on that. Cedar Lake Speedway. They have a, they have the school bus races. Now, I think they're honestly, I think they're making a mistake by not doing something like this to tie it in with the race program, but they do a hell of a job with the bus races. They make a shit ton of money. Okay. Now here's the deal. They actively go out and they talk to the schools, get the schools involved, do something unique to draw people to the racetrack that normally would not come. So they, they had their second biggest crowd in the history of the Cedar Lake Speedway. We're talking the place that hosts some of the biggest marquee events in all of racing. And when I talked to Bob Kaufman, he says, I'd rather do three bus races a year than do the USA Nationals. He goes, we have about the same amount of people, but we pay way less money out for the bus races. Yeah. What's more profitable for them? I mean, it's just math, right? But the fact is they went out and actively promoted. Another <clears throat> another example, uh, the Grand Rapids Speedway this year. We're doing, uh, uh, we're doing a, a salute the troops night, okay? Now, on that night, we're going to have – you know, everybody that's in the military, active or or veteran, they get in free that night. And a lot of tracks do that, which is great. That's why I love dirt race. That's why I love racing, because they support our troops, and that's important. But we're doing something a little bit different. 
the track actually built, um, we're in the process of building eight Hornet cars, uh, front-wheel drive four-cylinder cars, for those of you that don't know. Um, and what we're going to do is on that night is we're going to have guys and gals from different branches of the military racing in a showdown of the troops at the end of the night. That's going to bring people into the track that may not normally come, so they're going to come because they get to have some fun and participate. But also our goal is they're going to tell some of their friends about it and say, hey, at the end of the night, we get to do this. So, And there's a lot of things that you can do that with. Get the kids involved. Get the Little League involved. Get the schools involved. Get you know, getting employees for big companies involved. Take every single thing in your whole area, every single group, and find a way to get them involved on a specific race night other than the racing. Okay, so that's how you got to get people there, because I hear people complaining all the time. Oh, I can't get any fans. Well, weird. What are you doing to get fans telling people that you got a race? Big deal. You got like 200 actual race fans in your area. You need to build on that. Right. Because if 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 they're not a race fan, they ain't coming. So now you got them there. You best dang be doing something to to tickle everybody's fancy. Right. I mean. It can't be just racing. There's got to be some fan driver interaction. There's got to be some meet the drivers, autograph sessions, Sycamore Speedway in Illinois. Beautiful thing that they did. They got an awesome concourse there. Um, it's actually by DeKalb. If you've never been there, kind of a neat deal. They actually, every single night, they have autograph sessions with different classes where those drivers come by the grandstand area and, and the lines are long and the kids get to meet the drivers. It's a great deal. Got to do stuff like that because people want to meet the drivers. Some people like to gamble. You better have split the pot or maybe a pick'ems deal or something like that. Um, and there's a lot of downtime at, at, at a race, right? There's a lot of you know track prep in between races. You got to figure out unique, fun things to keep people engaged. One example again, Bemidji Speedway. A lot of people in our area, they're like, ah, it's a Bemidji Speedway. It's hillbilly racing. I'm telling you, that place is fun. If you're a fan, if you're a young kid, if you're a casual fan, you need to get to the Bemidji Speedway because they do some unique things for the race fans. I remember back in the day, they had a guy running around in a dog costume. Now, when I was racing, I'm like, my God, that is just stupid. Well, guess what? You go to any um, NFL, NHL, baseball, they all got mascots. The kids love it. The kids love it, right? <laughs> so you got to – that's the key. So what you got to understand is this. Plain and simple, I'm going to shuck it down to the cob for everybody and keep it simple. If you think WWE wrestling, they don't even call it wrestling. They call it sports entertainment. <laughs> Same thing needs to happen with racing. It can't be called, hey, we're going to a race. It needs to be – it's a, it's a form of entertainment and we got to make sure we're appealing to all the different senses because there's a lot of different people that like a lot of different things and you got to be mindful of time. You can't add all this stuff in there and have a six hour race program as a result because you're just going to make people mad. Still needs to be a three hour, three and a half hour window at the most, but you got to make sure that you're, you're making your diehard fans happy and you're bringing in new folks and then you're, Everybody's got a little different thing they like. And, and that is what's going to build this sport is for people to get creative and do some of these different things and build the fan bases and, and just make it a fun experience on every single night. That's my opinion. Perfect. Go ahead, Bert. Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that Ryan just said. Uh, I mean, and I know that we've talked about this in the past. I think too many tracks think that promoting means creating a Facebook page and um, just saying that we have races on, you know, every week. 
um, you know, being the editor of Full Throttle Magazine, you know, uh, you know, we try to get uh, the tracks to advertise in the magazine. And it's always frustrating when, you know, a track, well, we don't have, we don't have, uh, we don't have the budget for advertising. Well, if you don't have a budget for advertising, how do you expect to get people to your track? I mean, you, you can't just rely on Facebook. And I think too many tracks do that. And I also agree with Ryan that um, I don't think local racing is dying either. I mean, local racing has changed over the years. Uh, I mean, there's, there's more tracks now, at least in Eastern Wisconsin, there's more tracks than there, there was back in the 1990s. There's more divisions, but the bad thing about more divisions is it dilutes the, the competition, you know, there's less drivers in each division. And also the definition of success for a track has also changed over the years. I mean, now at least, you know, I'm, I'm speaking about Eastern Wisconsin, you know, if a track doesn't have a hundred cars per week, it's, it's considered um, not being successful. But I mean, back in the seventies during the heyday, when the grandstands were filled to the rafters, tracks never had a hundred cars. I mean, you had one division of racing and, you know, maybe 50 cars or whatever, but, you know, everybody was racing for the same prize at the end of the night. You didn't have six different winners. So a lot has changed over the years and, you know, tracks have to take that into account and promote differently than they have in the past. Now you're, you're, oh, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Bert's absolutely right there. Things have gotten watered down and racing for the same price. Now, now here, here's another thing. So I, I went, and this this is painful for me to even say because I'm, I'm a racer, right? So you see tracks having Enduros and bus races and all of that, and they just they just packed the place. Like Grand Rapids Speedway had like 3,000 people at the fair Enduro. Now, as a, as a racer, I'm like, my goodness, are you kidding me? Enduros are dumb they're it's not even racing are you kidding like i don't even why why do they why do they get three thousand people at that and they get 800 people at the wisota classic i don't even get it right so so i'm where i'm another where i'm going with that is we we're not i don't think we understand our fan base right so there's again i'm gonna bring it back to that track in sycamore illinois or it's actually in uh, maple park illinois is where it is they race every friday and every saturday all year long hmm every Friday and every Saturday. I'm like, how in the world do they do that? Well, on Saturday they have like, to, in my eyes, what would be a normal race program, right? Late models. They have like a limited late model deal. They got street stocks. They, um, they think they run midgets. They got a pure stock class. So they like actual race cars. But on Friday night, it's like a whole bunch of knock the windows out and go race. They got a four cylinder deal, a six cylinder deal and a V8 deal. I'm not kidding you. They pay a hundred bucks to win. I think it's 50 for second, 25 for third, something like that. And they don't pay anybody else nothing. And and they get more people a lot of weeks on that night than they get on the race night. Why is that? Okay, so you're casual. If you were talking about Pekegama Lake and people have never been to a racetrack, they don't even know what a modified or late model or anything is, right? But they do know what a Ford LTD is. They do know what a Cavalier is. They do know what a Mustang is, right? They do know that. So again, we're, I think sometimes there's too many classes that look the same, things get confusing, but I think track promoters in general, they need to get a lot better understanding of the P 
people that are trying to get to the track. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is constant communication, talking to people. And uh, what do you guys think about the insurgence of, of video? Right. There's a lot of there's a like, for example, Dirt Race Central. They, they do a lot of video. Um, is that pretty is that getting pretty relevant over in eastern Wisconsin, Bert? Um, well, at Channel Speedway, well, at some other tracks, too, there's actually one person who he goes there and he records the races every week. And then he he posts the videos on his Facebook page. OK, um, you know. I don't know if it hurts attendance or not. Uh, he, he actually starts some discussions on Facebook on different things. Uh, he says that he records the races so drivers can watch them and, you know, see if they can change their driving style or, you know, improve their driving style. Um, I mean, for me, you know, if I want video doesn't do Video is not the same as being at the racetrack. And you're, nothing, and you're a diehard. Nothing, you're a diehard nothing replaces being at the racetrack. But, yes, I can see where a casual fan is like, well, the weather's a little iffy today. You know, I can just catch the video tomorrow if it doesn't rain. And, that, you know? and, and I asked that question specifically for this reason. Okay, so, number one, you guys are both diehard fans, and I am too. I would, I would absolutely agree that if you can be there, that's way better than, than watching it online. However... Okay. However, if you have an eight hour race program, that's a complete dust bowl and there's a bunch of town time and they got to farm the track three times during the night, I'd rather watch it on TV for, for sure. So I think a lot of tracks are realizing that that video is a big deal. It's here to stay and it's actually going to help the sport. But for the tracks out there that, are, that if they still have it in their mind, if any promoters are listening, I'm talking to you, calling you out. Okay. If you have a problem with it, Call me. We'll talk. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, if you are a promoter and you're like, oh man, that video deal is going to hurt our attendance, that says more about your race program than it says about anything else. Because if somebody would rather watch it on TV than be at your racetrack, I think you got some work to do. And and that's what it comes down to is you got to have enough value there to actually for people to want to be there. And uh, if they'd rather watch it on TV, again, that says more about the lack of value the track has than it does about the fact that somebody can watch it online. That comes back down to the promoting thing and getting creative and making it more of an event. And I know that there are tracks out there that have, in quotes, outlawed uh, video, posting video on Facebook pages. I don't know how they how they... Uh, patrol that but uh, <laughs> or enforce that um, but I, I know there are some tracks out there that have tried to do that yeah there there definitely is they're getting to be less on they're getting to be less and less they really are um, but I know that I know there's a, a couple tracks over in our area I'm not going to mention any, their names but they were absolutely dead set they were like there's no way we're going to have live video but now they have transitioned this year into they're going to have some live, some live events at their track. So I think that it's just for some of the people that have been running tracks for years and years and years, it's change. So, and people just in general don't like change, but, but again, if you want your product, it don't matter what the product is. It doesn't matter what it is, but here we're talking racing. If you want your product to continue to get better, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to not only 
be okay with change. You're going to have to embrace change and you're going to have to create constant change because the world's evolving and it's, it's 2020. Let, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, let's get into the, let's get into this century here. Well, that, yeah. And I just want, I just want to add that. I mean, the technology is only getting better. So, I mean, video is not going away. It's only going to get better and better with quality. Well, that's just, Absolutely. Oh, that, yeah, that's just it on the video end. Instead of looking at, at it as a negative, because they're not going to be able to stop it all. I mean, let's face it. I mean, everyone's got a phone in their pocket. There's just no way, especially when, the, especially during the feature events when the lights are down and the, the crowd's a little dark. But why not use that to your advantage? Like you said, like, I mean, I'm sure every each of us live in a different town. The majority of people in those towns have never been to the races. Use the video to lure them in, you know, because most people don't even know what they're getting into. They have the impression of this redneck hillbilly dusty whatever use the video to get them in you know you know and, and even if it's just for even if just to get started with an enduro because like ryan like my oldest is 14 you know he, he he could care less to ever go to the races but he loves enduros because there's something going on to the left there's something going on to the right there's something going on right in front there's constant action like i said it's the carnival atmosphere there's something there's a fire there's a rollover they're spinning around you know it just you know, there's it's just it's fun i mean i like them too you know, but yes. use that video. Like I said, it's inevitable anyway. Use it. That's how you start pushing yourself out there. And like I said, there's like an iron curtain around a lot of racetracks for the general public. Use the video to try and get those people in. And then the other thing I want to say about outsiders is, and Ryan, you were talking about, you know, dusty tracks, not not preparing, that kind of thing. The worst thing you can do is is get do all the work to get the outsiders in. And then have a terrible <laughs> night where you have a show that takes forever. You have too many classes, like we've already talked about, et cetera, et cetera. Then they're never going to come uh, back. Dude, I, I, I got to tell you, this, this reminds me of a story. The first year that I got into the promoting side of things, and again, I never did track prep, never did. I won't, I, I won't say it's an easy job because I've never done it. I know what's necessary. But I remember, um, oh, man, this was like 2010, somewhere in that neighborhood, um, we decided we're doing a salute the troops night at the Hibbing Raceway. And it's all, there's some, there's different people there now, different people on the track prep. And that year they put a bunch of new clay on. There was some rain outs and they were having the issue getting the clay to kind of bond. But, you know, we got a bunch of people there. I mean, we had some sponsors. We had, I mean, the crowd was significantly bigger than it had been for a while. We had a band there. They were singing, uh, God bless the USA. They sang the national anthem. We were going to do an after party with the band. And, you know, I mean, we had, we had some really, we had fireworks, we had a lot of cool stuff and I can't even make this up partway through, I believe it was the, the super stock maybe, or the B mod feature. One of those two, the track was so dusty. I couldn't see across the racetrack. And I, I called up the, the scorer in the scorer tower. I said, can you see and, and she's like, no, I can't see nothing. I'm like, tell him to throw the red. And she's like, what? I'm like, just tell him to throw the red flag. No, I'm just a board member. And I just, I had a red flag it. And we talked to all the drivers and we said, the track is a mess. I mean, like literally we're going to have to cancel. Oh my God. It was horrible. Like literally we, we got a whole bunch of people there that had never been there before. And we had a just complete disaster of a race program. I never, I was so pissed. And I remember they gave everybody that was there, they got in free the next week. Half the people probably never came back. And you know, now, now that's all over social media. Oh, what a, what a crap hole. And it's like, Oh my God. So 
yes. If if you if your job, if everybody does their job, you can have a great race program. But you know, I've heard racetracks say, "Oh man, I can't pay a track prep guy four or five hundred bucks a week." Well, you freaking better because some of them your track sucks, right? <laughs> so the fact of the matter is, like. Oh, I, I, we pay our track prep guy 150 bucks a week. Yeah, no shit. It shows. The place, the place is a shithole. Nobody comes here. Everybody hates the place. Kidding me? Right? Pay somebody that actually knows what the hell they're doing because then they're going to take some pride in it and give you a good racing surface. It's not that complicated, right? So you, if you find somebody that does a great job, open up your freaking checkbook and pay them some money because it is extremely valuable to have the right guy doing it no different than it's valuable having an amazing announcer because everybody hears that person. So a track prep guy and an announcer, them two things are vitally important on the entertainment value that you're providing to fans. And Puka, you're right on the money. If you get all them people there and they see a horrible race program, you probably just did yourself a whole lot more harm than good. Yeah, exactly. Well, and another thing that's important to have is have enough wreckers on site to clean up accidents. There's nothing more frustrating than spending 15 minutes trying to trying to pull cars off a tra- off the track after an accident. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, like you said, that, that, that completely wrecks the carnival atmosphere. So, well, well let's, <laughs> yes. let's do one more thing on this subject. Let's try to go about 30 seconds here each on this. What do you guys think, uh, like at a reasonable price, you know, we kind of had some text back and forth. You know, let's just say a, a family of four, you know, you got a couple of kids and uh, you want to make a trip to the concession stand. What's what's the total dollar amount? And maybe you could even give a breakdown. I don't know, Bert, you want to start? Well, I don't know about, I mean, as far as admission prices. Yeah, admission. Uh, yeah, what, what do you think is a reasonable amount? Yeah, you, got, well, I mean, you got admission for four. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start with admission and we'll kind of, I'll kind of go from there. Uh $10 for adults is kind of the threshold that we found in eastern Wisconsin. Uh, Shano Speedway is still at $10 for adults. Uh, some other tracks in the area have, you know, increased it to $11, $12. Uh, when, when they have done that increase, um, you know, the tracks have taken heat on Facebook. Um, but, I mean, people still pay that price. I mean, I, I think 10 to $12 is, is a good range for adult admission and i mean you have to keep your food reasonably priced you can have i mean we talked about concession prices at the daytona 500 a couple podcasts ago i mean local racing you cannot have those types of prices i mean you have to have uh reasonable prices you know two bucks or 250 for a burger or you know that sort of thing yeah because i was getting my number was you know like 30 ish dollars yeah if you're around that ten dollar for adult and then maybe around that $5 per kids or maybe kids are free. I guess more and more kids are free. You know, you're in the door for, you know, 20-ish bucks. Maybe it's 18, maybe it's, you know, 16, whatever. And then, you you know, you spend 10 bucks at the concession stand, get a, you know, whatever, a couple pops, a couple beers, and, and or maybe you get to 35 bucks. It just, you know, that seems reasonable to me. And I, you know, when I, you know, some people say, well, you know, a movie costs this and, and the popcorn there is this and this. I said, well, yeah, but, you know, Hollywood has, has, or uh, movies have Hollywood star power, you know, <laughs> unfortunately racing really doesn't, it's not the same, you know, the Twitter presence, what, you know, <laughs> the Twitter presence <laughs> for, you know, whoever, uh, you know, you know, pick an actor for Leonardo DiCaprio is just, you know, he's got a couple more followers than Ryan Aho. 
That's bullshit. <laughs> well, it is complete bullshit, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know what people are thinking, you know. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. I'm, I'm 30 seconds. Dude, I, I like, OK, I, I'll try my best to keep it short. I, 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 have, I, I get ranting, but I, I saw a great article on Ben Shelton. I believe it was Ben Shelton wrote it. And uh, and he said it's kind of the rule of 50. Um, the average family comes in, they're spending 50 bucks. However they spend it, they're spending 50 bucks. You know, whether it's getting in and some at the concession and maybe a T-shirt, the average family spending 50 bucks. It just depends. How do you want to get that 50 bucks, okay? Now, I I am absolutely astonished, and I'm happy to hear that Shano Speedway is 10 bucks to get in for adults. I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a great number. I think that's what it should be for a regular night of racing. Absolutely no question about it. If you go over 10 bucks, you're you're – you're killing the people that are coming. Now, the thing that I've seen, okay, is racetracks, I'm not saying all of them, but a bunch of them, have replaced actual promoting and marketing with just inflated prices. And all I hear all the time is, well, we have to charge that. We're trying to keep the doors open. We have to charge that much. No, get off your ass and do something different to get people there, and you won't have to kill everybody's pocketbook okay so it all comes down to number one how much marketing promoting and and how many people are they getting there i believe that if you have a lower price to get in and actually actively go out and market promote get people there it's going to be better not only more profitable each night but it's going to help grow the sport right because the more people that are there the more future drivers fans sponsors track workers everybody that you have but if you keep killing the people that are coming, you're only getting the same 300 people in the grandstands. That ain't working. Okay, so number one, 10 bucks. I think that is phenomenal. I think that's a great price. Now, I also saw, I believe it was in that same article by Ben Shelton, that a lot of tracks do 12 and unders free. In fact, most tracks that I've seen um, in the grandstands anyway, 12 and unders free. And then they usually have like a 13 to 17, like a student price. And it's usually like half, like five, six bucks, somewhere in there. But I saw this gentleman that he actually, he said, you know what? We're going to go 18 and under free. And when I first read that, I'm like, oh my God, what an idiot. Like, why would he do that? Well, he tracked it. And I think all tracks should probably do the same thing. I challenge all race tracks actually to track amount of people that come in that are 13 to 18 and what he said is it was a very 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 small amount like literally it was like 20 people a night really that that was in that age group and he said that's the age group of people we wanted to track he said so he made a decision that he went 18 and under was free admission and he says because remember that rule of 50 whether they pay that five, six bucks to get in or not, they're spending money when they get there. And what happened is when they let 18 and under in for free, they still tracked it. They still had wristbands for them. They still tracked it. And they about tripled the amount of people that they had coming in at that age group. Well, guess what? They're bringing their parents with them. Kids want to be where kids are. It just became the place to be. So I think that's it. We're going to track that at the Grand Rapids Speedway. We're not going to start out, I believe, with 18 and under free. We're going to track it to see where we're at. And then uh, I think we're going to go ahead and change that um, partway through the year. So we're, we want to kind of see how that works there. Now, on the flip side of things there, Puka, the pits, unbelievable. I, I absolutely, it just drives me nuts what people charge to get in the pits. I mean, 
I believe, in my opinion, a regular night of racing, 20 bucks to get in the pits, that's what it should be. Boat, it should be 10 bucks in the grandstands, 20 bucks in the pits. There ain't a racetrack that I've been to in the last probably decade that charges 20 bucks to get in. They're either 25 or 30, which is just retarded. And again, it comes down to them saying, well, we gotta, we gotta charge that because if we don't charge that, we can't pay the purse. We can't do this. We can't do that. Yes, you can get out there and, and get off your butt and do something different to get people there. When I raced, when I first started racing guys, I had, there was a lot of nights I had four or five people coming in the pits with me. And I remember back in the day, it was 15 bucks to get in. Then it went to 20 and now I had one less. Well, guess what? You look in the pits it used to be about three pe- three pit guys per car. Now it's one and a half to two pit guys per car because especially the, the younger racers, they're having a really hard time, especially if they race three, four nights a week. 30 bucks to get in the pits is just absolutely uncalled for. Are they looking to just keep whacking the people that are coming in or do they want to grow the sport and get more people there? People need to wake up. Yeah, well, we could talk about, about this all night, guys, because there's just there's a lot of material there, but um yeah some good points and yeah we'll see uh we'll see if promoters take uh, some of our advice we'll see if there's any changes and good luck with the you know the changes you guys are implementing there in grand rapids so now we're going to move on to the last lap segment where we have one to go so ryan where they were racing down in south carolina last weekend uh, down at modoc the extreme dirt cars wrapped up their uh series i guess you'd call it for the for the winter the winter series uh pearson lee williams and the rum runner number two taking the victory chris madden uh, who's led the points from day one, uh, collected his $20,000 check, followed by Ross Bales and Zach Mitchell. Uh, you know, we've talked before on the podcast, Ryan, they have a habit of, of racing on Sunday afternoons down south. <laughs> well, first off, um, I'm really interested in this Ross Bales dude. Like, he ran good. Did he get second or third in the series? He was right there. Second. Got second. second yeah. yeah, second in the series. I noticed he's he's running three different cars this year. He's got some stuff going on. It's gonna be kind of fun to watch him. I want to see where he goes in uh, the Rum Runner uh, Rum uh, Rum Runner team. I can't even talk, right? Uh, the Rum Runner team, right? Um, they went out there. Boy, is it Pearson Lee Williams? He he got the win. So kind of cool to see them back in victory lane. Astonished again. Uh, Chris Madden has just been off the pace. Um, I think he got twelfth. Yeah, he won the championship, but but he got twelfth. He just was not good. But my God, they hot. No, they had hot laps. They did have hot laps, but they started the hot laps at four o'clock and they raced at five o'clock. Okay. Um, <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Like, I'm going to just go back to this. Why on earth would anybody ever start the races that early ever? They had to take a caution. I believe it was lap two or lap three, something like that. They had to take a caution to rework the track because it was so dusty to start the late model feature that they couldn't even see. So they had to take a caution, rework the track. It was an absolute debacle, one-lane racing. My God, number one, get some water on the racetrack. And number two, especially on a Friday or Saturday night. And I believe this was a Saturday race, right? I think, yeah, Saturday. Start the races at 7 o'clock, 7.30, something like that. Why race against the sun? Why do that? Um, give people a good product, and, and they didn't get it there. Um, but, you know, it's good to see that series go off. And the, congratulations to Chris Madden and uh, way, way, way too many early starting races. And there was a lot of one-lane races in that series. I hope that next year they take note of that and start the races when they should. Bert? Yeah, I mean, it, it was nice to see this uh, series launch 
uh, this race season. Uh, you know, I agree with Ryan. You know, some of the races weren't um, uh, the action wasn't that great because of track conditions. Uh, you know, Chris Madden of the four races, he did win two of them. I'm looking at the standings and. In those four races, he made $18,700, so plus his $20,000 for winning the series. Four races, he'll be making, you know, almost $39,000, not too bad. And uh, as we stated, Ross Bales finished second. And it was good to see uh, Kyle Strickler, who's new to the late models, uh, finish fourth in the series. And uh, hopefully this is just a... Uh, starting point for the series and that it can get bigger and better in the future and they can learn from from their first season all right big news coming out of the world of outlaw slash uh dirt car uh tom deary who was the chief operating officer uh resigned uh suddenly in the last week either of you hear any more details i'm sure many of you have already heard the uh, read the article but is there any details as to might what might have went down there Nothing yet. I tried to do some digging. I talked to a few people that are that I believe are probably in the know, but they're pretty tight-lipped on it. Um, so I, I don't want to put any speculation out. He did a lot for the sport, um, and I believe he's probably going to continue to do a lot for the sport. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious. So that's something I'm going to keep an eye on. It'll be fun to see when the details come out. Um, hopefully it was not nothing too dramatic. Hopefully it was just, he just needed a change of pace or they did. Hopefully there was nothing else bigger than that. Cause I've seen that a lot lately in the racing world. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned on that because I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm in the know with a few people there are, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in touch with a few people that are in the know, I should say. So, uh, once their lips come unsealed, I might have a little something for you. All right. Rookie Calvin Iverson from Elba, Wisconsin. So not far from us. Uh, had a nice uh, week. Uh, U.S. MTS run over the weekend, Albert. Yeah, he, he had a good run. Uh, I believe he lapped everybody up to like sixth place, which is definitely a really good run. So, uh, you know, I'm not real familiar with the U.S. MTS tour. Um, I have interviewed several drivers who have followed that tour or at least attempted to follow the tour and you know they always tell me that it's it's just grueling travel wise because they're traveling all over the united states and the thing is you know they're traveling for you know two thousand to win three thousand to win uh so it it it's tough to make a go in that uh series especially when you're racing against uh the best modified drivers in the country go ahead right yeah, I think he got second that first night out and kind of ran mid-pack the other two nights, I believe, is what it was. And and he's he's ran down south all winter. He was down there in, uh, you know, in, in Arizona race and had some pretty good runs down there. He's just a young guy from Wisconsin. I'm really not familiar with him, but I believe he runs, like, down at the Deer Creek Speedway, Mississippi Thunder. Um, I think maybe he runs over at Cedar Lake some. Um, so it's going to be fun to watch him. It's nice to see a guy from up in area following that series. There's some great racers there. Um, it'll be fun to watch him during the summer. I've not met him yet, but I, I intend to meet him this summer. Um, but, yeah, definitely pretty cool to see somebody racing all winter long from our area. And uh, there was those pictures floating around on social media of Gordy Gundaker. He kind of added the Newman bar, it looked like. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, maybe it'll save some guys uh, some lives in dirt racing, too. I mean, a good idea. Yeah, you can never have too much safety. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you add a bar in there that doesn't change the way the car works. It doesn't change the handling of the race car, but it can add safety. 
Um, and as long as, you know, the way that that bar is placed, it doesn't really change how you get in and out of the car. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, that's, that's just another example of how something happened in NASCAR at the, at the biggest ranks. And then it transitioned down into, into local racing and beyond. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be pretty cool to see if some different chassis builders maybe start implementing that into their cars. Bert? Yeah, I mean, it, it's never good uh, to see a bad accident like what Ryan Newman had. But uh, the key is to take to learn from those situations. And if that can trickle down into local racing, all the better for the sport. All right, another guy from our region making some headlines this week, Jordan Yegi, per Facebook, is going to be running the Lucas Oil MLRA series this summer. Do either of you have much info on that series? I, you know, said I, I just don't know much about it. I don't. It's uh, it's just another regional series. I guess it would be similar to the Wasota Late Model Challenge series or the NLRA series or the Mars series that Tony Izzo Jr. has. It just, uh, it's just a late model series within that region. I believe it's Iowa, maybe a little bit in Nebraska. Um, you know, and I, I never raced against Jordan. I'm, I guess I'm old. I raced against his dad, Steve, um, but uh, I never raced against Jordan. So, you know, and they don't have late models really down there, right? I mean, you look at Mississippi Thunder, Deer Creek, you know, the tracks in that area, they don't have late models on a regular basis. So if he wants to run late models, it's either travel. Well, even Cedar Lake doesn't have them on a regular basis, I guess. So if he wants to run late models, he's going to have to follow some kind of series. And, and that's the one that makes the most sense for him. So so good luck to them guys this year. I, I hope that series goes well, and I hope them guys run well. Bert? Yeah, and I don't know a lot about the series either, other than it's a regional series, and uh, um, Chad Simpson always usually won the championship uh, prior years. I know Beaver Dam Raceway did host a MLR uh, race last, late model race last year. I don't believe they have it on their schedule this year. Uh, but uh, a Wisconsin driver who followed the series last year is Mitch McGrath. And I believe he finished second in points last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Mitch is, is uh, from the Milwaukee area. He would be the uh, nephew of Russ Scheffler and the grandson of George Scheffler, who were uh, very good at Hales Corner Speedway when that was open. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, Mitch McGrath, he comes over to Cedar Lake for the USA Nationals. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know there was any relation. The USA Nationals before. Ah, okay, cool. Well, Ryan, uh, Mississippi Thunder added a, a nice, uh, a big purse uh, for the uh, USREB mods for that memorial race. Yeah, you want to get in some details? Yeah, you know, uh, Casey Knudsen, uh, I unfortunately never got to meet him, but um, tragically passed away just a few weeks ago, and he run a USREB mod down there, and and uh, man, I tell you what, I mean, uh, just the just the pouring of emotion on Facebook. Um, actually, pretty good buddies with Lucky John Van Minsel, who I think is related to him, cousin or uncle or something like that. But yeah, he tragically passed away, and you know, in the track they banded together with a lot of the sponsors, the drivers, people in that area. And I, I, I got to be honest, I've seen a lot of people pass away, but I mean, they this kid was really well liked from what I understand. He was really well liked and everything I see on Facebook, he was just a joy to be around and always having fun. So they decided they're going to put, I don't have the date in front of me, but they're going to put together a 12 grand to win USRI BMOD show. Cause his number was 12 in memory of him. And, and uh, there's an opportunity 
if you go to the Mississippi Thunder um, website, Facebook page, fans and drivers, you can and sponsors, you can actually donate to the purse. And from what I understand is they're going to try to grow that purse. It's going to be, you know, they're really going to put that together. And, you know, I've personally helped host um, some memorial races myself. So, you know, it's, it's great to see tracks. And, and that's just something special about the racing community. You know, we have so many good people. There's so many good people in this sport. You know, not everybody has the same level of thinking. And some people do things different. But when it comes down to it, racing is a big family. And, and that's really what this is all about. And, and uh, it's just a whole bunch of the racing family down there. Um, putting together a, a special night for, for his race team, his family, and his memory. I hope the weather cooperates. I hope it goes off well. And, uh, you know, it's just tragic that we that we had to lose him in the racing community. Bert? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't, didn't know him at all, but uh, it's nice to see uh, drivers, uh, you know, get recognized like that. And, uh, you know, I've been to several memorial races for different drivers, and they're always a special event. Yeah, I agree. Like Ryan said, it's all kind of one big family. There's there's no question about it. Well, we have some uh, NASCAR news to kind of end the show with tonight. Uh, Kyle Busch is becoming the center of attention with all his great truck runs. Uh, Ryan, do you want to start on this one again and, and talk about some of the bounties <laughs> that have been leveled uh, against him? Well, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, it's I really like it. I do, too. I think this is great. I mean, especially with social I, media, it plays to social it, media perfectly. It is. It is. So, so basically, uh, you know, Kyle Busch is a guy that he'll race anything. It no matter what it is. And I personally, I'm not a fan of Kyle Busch. I think he's, he's just, I just don't like his personality. I think the guy's kind of a douchebag, to be honest with you. But he is fun to watch, and he's polarizing. He's, he's like, he's almost like a Scott Bloomquist. I, I say Scott Bloomquist is like better than him, right? But but he's that he's he's NASCAR's Scott Bloomquist. You either love the guy or you hate the guy, and and he he wins in anything he gets in. And what is it like seven in a row that he's won in the trucks or something like that? The the races that he's entered. Well, Kevin Harvick basically said, hey, here's the deal: we're gonna throw fifty grand out there for any Cup regular that can come in and 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 beat him. Now they didn't have to win. They don't have to win. Right. And then was it Camping World threw in, I believe, another 50 grand on top of that. So it's 100 grand to any cup regular that comes in and beats them. Well, then some of the regulars, some of the regular drivers were like, well, that's not fair. You know, we're, we're what, what do we get? And, man, I don't remember who it was. You can look it up online. But one of the sponsors for one of the race teams says, well, here's the deal. I'll throw 50 grand out there for any one of our regulars that wins when he enters. So now, now that's a whole different bounty. So there's, there's, <laughs> there's a bounty on him. Now we did something similar to that. Now I gotta be honest. It wasn't that kind of money. You know, it wasn't 50 grand. I can tell you that, but we did a bounty on a guy by the name of Kevin Burdick up at Grand Rapids last year. This, he went one whole calendar year without losing a feature in the Wasota Superstock class at the Grand Rapids Speedway. And I just called him up. I said, dude, like we need to get you some people to race against here. Like we got to get you some competition. Like this is just too easy for you. So we just threw together a small bounty and it being a, you know, a few hundred bucks. I think it, it was over a thousand by the time it got all said and done. 
But on the final night of the bounty, it actually doubled the car count of what they were normally getting for Super Stock. So that was pretty cool. It actually worked, and it created a good vibe. It created some controversy. It created some hype. Got some different drivers there for the fans to see. And and I'm really hoping it does the same thing for the Truck Series. The Truck Series is my favorite series in NASCAR by a long shot. And, you know, I think you need some of them cup guys to come down in there because that makes your your diehard NASCAR fan want to watch it, which is going to draw in more sponsors because it's more marketable. I think it's just a, a great idea. It's a it's just a win win win, and and hopefully, hopefully they get a few people coming in, and he can continue to win, and maybe they'll keep building on that a little bit and create more hype and create more excitement, and it'll be fun to see where this thing goes. Bert, you a Kyle Busch fan? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a Kyle Busch fan. I mean, he's a good race car driver, but I mean, I'm not really a fan of his. And uh, I mean, on the topic of bonies, I, I think bonies are really cool. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, Pete Parker was just dominated. This was in the early 80s. One season, he he put put down like six straight feature wins. And eventually uh, somebody put a bounty on them. And the way the bounty worked was it started at a certain dollar amount. And then every week that uh, it wasn't claimed, they would add more money to the bounty. And so it, it just creates more excitement. And it's another way to try to put, you know, butts in the stands. Yeah, here's the deal with the Rapids bounty. Because I thought I saw Kyle Bush saying, well, what the heck do I get? Like if I win out. Do I get anything? You know, does he get, I mean, so he was kind of like, well, whatever, bring it. You know, he's a racer. He wants to race. Well, in, in Rapids, we kind of did a similar deal. We kept adding to it and, and we made the decision if it got to the end of the year and nobody beat Burdick, if he, if he won out, he got the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Well, then it was kind of funny because then I had a few people whining saying, oh, yeah, you're going to keep making up rules so he wins it. Well, uh, Nick Oreskovich actually came from Wisconsin, the bounty hunter, um, Nick O over there, and the flying farmer, they call him, and, and he took that money. And, and uh, Burdick said, man, you put me under a lot of pressure. I'm like, kid, you're trying to win the national championship. If this little bounty's putting a little pressure on you, you're going to have to toughen up because it's going to be even more pressure by September. So I think he was I think he was thankful because it – it gave him a little bit of pressure, but when the when the chips hit at the end of the year, he walked away the national championship. Um, so that was that was pretty cool to see. Yep, ding 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 promoters. That's called promoting right there. Bounties <laughs> are fun. Bounties are fun. So all right to wrap up, uh, NASCAR is announcing and moving to a single lug nut design for the next gen car. Uh, I kind of looked at it. I, I know, like we were talking earlier, Ryan. Like people don't like change, but you know, I was looking at the wheel, and you know, like again. My 14-year-old son, I mean, the kind of wheel that they have pictured, and you guys, you know, people can go online and look. I mean, I, I think it's the right move. I mean, I mean, my kid doesn't know what a hubcap or, or, or a, you know, without a, a wheel without a hubcap on it is, you know, where this thing's got the, the spokes, you know, and that, that's, you know, you look at 16-year-olds these days, that's the kind of wheel they would want to, if they could just buy a car, mom, dad, buy me a car, it's going to look just like that. Yeah, it's interesting. They're going from a steel wheel to an aluminum wheel. It kind of has that spoke look. It's a pretty cool looking wheel, you know, but honestly, that's kind of the smallest part of the equation here. I think that's kind of the first topic they brought out is that single lug nut deal. It is what it is. I mean, it's going to keep money back in the pockets of some of the crew chiefs because they ain't going to have the lug nut violation. And if they do, the tire's going to fall off before they get off pit road because they only got one, right? You know, so 
you know, I, I don't see a problem with it. You know, it is what it is. I mean, um, but they, uh, it's pretty cool to see some of the, some of the changes NASCAR's making. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of liking, you know, that's one right there. Um, but the other thing that they're making, they're actually putting a spec shock rule in there. Um, so they're all going to run the same shocks. All you know, they're all going to be on a spec shock. Take some of the technology out. They're also going to have it where all the chassis are built by the same manufacturer. Um, so there's a there's a few things they're doing, and, and their goal is to bring the cost down. And they're going to need it's going to require less pit personnel, so it's going to bring the cost down. That takes away a little bit of opportunity for for some of the folks wanting to get in and you know, maybe be employed by a NASCAR team. It takes, you know, some jobs away, but they're, they're making some significant changes. And, you know, where I'm going to go with that is this NASCAR realizes that over the last several years, their product has been fading. It really has, it hasn't been good. And, and they're at least taking an active effort to try to change it and, and try to make it better. Is everything going to work? No, nothing, not, not everything always works, but at least they're doing something to try to change it to make it a better product. So hats off to NASCAR for that. Bert? Well, I, I just wonder how they're going to uh, be able to fit that big lug nut onto a trading card like they did with the smaller lug nuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the collectibles portion coming out. There, there you go. Bert, uh, Bert, Bert's the collectible guy. He's got the die-cast collection and the lug nut collection. Yeah, that that would well, be a big lug nut to take home. That's for sure. I mean, actually, one of my previous jobs, I uh, I priced trading cards for price guides, so uh, I would have to price those cards and stuff. So <laughs> I don't miss those days, though. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I I think NASCAR realizes that they have to make changes, and uh, you know, this is just uh, one of the changes. I mean, I. I, I don't have a problem with, with this change. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it, it's all for the good. All right. Well, I kind of feel the same. Yeah, like I said, I think that spoke to wheel is pretty cool. So, all right, fellas. Well, I think uh, we covered just about it all. So uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. You know, we're getting closer and closer. I know that uh, Humboldt, Kansas is right around the corner a couple weeks away and there's a bunch of northern Minnesota guys heading down to that. So, um, you know, I, I really don't even know what's coming up this week. I mean, what's coming up for races? I mean, it's kind of a it's a little bit of a unique week. There must be some USMTS stuff maybe. Um, what's going on for dirt late model stuff this weekend? And you guys got any idea? Yeah, I'm 90% I, sure. Let me I, look here. I'm 99% sure that the outlaws world about late models are, are somewhere. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, the duck river park raceway park. So that what's the sixth Friday and Saturday smoky mountain speedway. So we'll, you know, we will cover that. And are they both in Tennessee? Is that where that is or what? Smoky Mountains? Smoky Mountains got to be, let's see here. Duck River, I know they do that big race in the fall. Let's see here. Duck River, sponsored by Duck Dynasty. Duck River, Wheel, Tennessee. Duck River. Tennessee. Yeah, Smoky Mountains in Tennessee somewhere. So, yeah. So, yeah, so a little run through there, and then they don't come back uh, for a couple of weeks, 27th, 28th. And I. I, Well, who's going to win? Who do you guys got? Oh, boy. Oh, you put me on the spot. Well, hey, that's Bloomquist's home country. But you know, I'm going to go with on one of them who hasn't run really well, but I'm going to put my money for one of the nights on Mike Marlar. He's a Tennessee boy. I'm sure he's got some laps down there. Uh, it's time to pick up the program, get back to pace where he was two years ago. 
Uh, I'll go with Bloomquist just because it's in Tennessee. You know, Bloomquist <laughs> looked pretty good by the end of Volusia. He was picking up the pace a little bit. Um, do you guys know if, if Madden at the end at that last race was he in his new car yet, or was he still running the old car? You guys got any idea on that? I don't. I follow his Facebook, I think, but I didn't see or hear anything. I I tell you who I'm gonna pick now. Is there any Lucas Oil races this weekend, or is it just World of All? Yeah, just World of All. Now they don't come back for another couple of weeks. So so they might get a mix. Maybe maybe at those shows, maybe they'll get a couple of the Lucas Oils uh, Lucas Oil guys dropping in possibly so there might be a mix now with that said if that's the case the guy that's been hot you know the old show he's from tennessee or newport nightmare down there right he's from he's from down there so jimmy owens if if he's there i would say he's gonna be tough um and i'm I'm gonna take my boy ricky uh ricky weiss i think he's due for a win i think uh i'm gonna pick him and jimmy owens to run strong at those events and i don't even know if jimmy's gonna be there (laughs) he might not who knows so All right. Well, great. Yeah, great show, guys. We will uh, come back next week and discuss how those races went, discuss how what kind of gamblers we are, if if we're hot or if we're not. You know, it's time to get hot. March Madness is right here. So it's time to get hot on the gambling side. Uh, Hey, March Madness is here, but Puka, you're a hockey guy. What week is it right now? Oh, yeah, state tournament. Yeah, Minnesota Minnesota State High School Hockey Hockey Tournament. Yeah, coming up. Coming up, yeah. So. Oh, gosh, my brain's fizzled out. I played seven games this weekend. My body's about to collapse, and I got five or six coming up this weekend. So um, I'm living on amino acids and protein powder right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it'll be a big, big week uh, Yeah, here in Minnesota. It's always a great time. Um, I was fortunate. Seven nights of hockey for Puka, sponsored by Court Chiropractic, yeah. right? Is <laughs> yeah, that what that yeah, and uh, <laughs> deep tissue massagers and foam rollers, you know, and Advil, you know, Advil. Right. Everyone's sponsor. <laughs> so, all right, race fans. Well, thank you always, uh, as always, for joining us. Uh, we're here every week. Come back. Check out the One to Go show. We appreciate you very much. As we say every week, go out there and be your dream. You're tuned to the One to Go show.